0: Chapter Twenty Four of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four Miranda's time had come. She had seen it coming and was prepared. With a movement like a flash, she pushed open the closet door, seized the pot of ink from the table, and before the two excited occupants of the room had time to even hear her or realize that she was near, she hurled the ink pot full into the insolent face of Harry Temple. The inkstand itself was a light affair of horn and inflicted only a slight wound, but the ink came into his eyes in a deluge, blinding him completely, as Miranda had meant it should do. She had seen no other weapon of defense at hand. Harry Temple dropped Marcia's wrists and groaned in pain, staggering back against the wall and sinking to the floor. But Miranda would not stay to see the effect of her punishment. She seized the frightened Marcia, dragged her toward the cupboard door, sweeping as she passed the pile of letters, finished and unfinished, into her apron, and closed the cupboard doors carefully behind her. Then she guided Marcia through the dark mazes of the storeroom to the hall, and pushing her toward the front door, whispered, Go quick, before he gets his eyes open. I've got to go this way. Run down the road fast as you can, and I'll be at the meeting place first. Hurry, quick! Marcia went, with feet that shook so that every step seemed like to slip but with beating heart she finally traversed the length of the piazza with a show of dignity, passed the loungers, and was out in the road. Then, indeed, she took courage and fairly flew. Miranda, breathless but triumphant, went back into the kitchen. "'I guess taint him after all,' she said to the interested woman who was putting on the potatoes to boil. "'He's real interesting to look at, though. I'd like to stop and watch him longer, but I must be going. I come out to hunt for—' Miranda hesitated for a suitable object before this country-bred woman who well knew that strawberries were not ripe yet. "'Winter greens for Grandma,' she added cheerfully, not quite sure whether they grew around these parts. "'And I must be in a hurry. Good-bye. Thank you for the drink.' Miranda whizzed out of the door breezily, calling a good morning to one of the hostlers as she passed the barnyard, and was off through the meadows and over the fence like a bird, the package of letters rustling loud in her bosom where she had tucked them before she entered the kitchen. Neither of the two girls spoke for some minutes after they met, but continued their rapid gait until the end of the corduroy road was in sight and they felt comparatively safe. "'Well, that feller certainly ought to be strung up and walloped now for sure,' remarked Miranda. "'And I'd like to help at the wallopin. Marcia's overstrung nerves suddenly dissolved into hysterical laughter the contrast from the tragic to the ridiculous was too much for her she laughed until the tears rolled down her cheeks and then she cried in earnest miranda stopped and put her arms about her as gently as a mother might have done and smoothed her hair back from the hot cheek speaking tenderly there now you poor pretty little flower just you cry as hard as you want to i know how good it makes you feel to cry i've done it many a time up garret where nobody couldn't hear me that old satan he won't trouble you for a good long spell again when he gets his evil eyes open if he ever does he'll be glad to get out of these parts or i miss my guess now don't you worry no more he can't hurt you one mite. and don't you think a thing about what he said he's a great big liar that's what he is miranda you saved me yes you did i never can thank you enough if you hadn't come and helped me something awful might have happened marcia shuddered and began to sob convulsively again nonsense said miranda pleased i didn't do a thing worth mentioning now you just wipe your eyes and chirk up we've got to go through town and you don't want folks to wonder what's up miranda led marcia up to the spring whose location had been known to her all the time of course and marcia bathed her eyes and was soon looking more like herself though there was a nervous tremor to her lips now and then but her companion talked gaily and tried to keep her mind from going over the events of the morning. When they reached the village, Miranda suggested they go home by the back street, slipping through a field of spring wheat and climbing the garden fence. She had a mind to keep out of her grandmother's sight for a while longer. I might as well be hung for sheep's a lamb, she remarked as she slid in at Marcia's kitchen door in the shadow of the morning glory vines. "'I'm going to stay here a spell and get you some dinner while you go upstairs and lie down. "'You don't need to go back to your aunt's till near night, "'and you can wait till dusk and I'll go with you. "'Then you needn't be out alone at all. "'I know how you feel, but I don't believe you need worry. "'He'll be done with you now forever, or I'll miss my guess. "'Now you go lie down till I make a cup of tea.' Marcia was glad to be alone, and soon fell asleep, worn out with the excitement, "'her brain too weary to go over the awful occurrences of the morning.' that would come later. Now her body demanded rest. Miranda, coming upstairs with the tea, tiptoed in and looked at her, one round arm thrown over her head and her smooth peachy cheek resting against it. Miranda, homely and with no hope of ever attaining any of the beautiful things of life, loved unselfishly this girl who had what she had not, and longed with all her heart to comfort and protect the sweet young thing who seemed so ill-prepared to protect herself. She stooped over the sleeper for one yearning moment and touched her hair lightly with her lips. She felt a great desire to kiss the soft, round cheek, but was afraid of wakening her. Then she took the cup of tea and tiptoed out again, her eyes shining with satisfaction. She had a self-imposed task before her and was well pleased that Marcia slept, for it gave her plenty of opportunity to carry out her plans. She went quickly to David's library, opened drawers and doors in the desk, until she found writing materials and sat down to work. She had a letter to write, and a letter to Miranda was the achievement of a lifetime. She did not much expect to ever have to write another. She plunged into her subject at once. "'Dear Mr. David,' she was afraid that sounded a little stiff, but she felt it was almost too familiar to say David, as he was always called. "'I ain't much on letters, but this one has got to be writ.' "'Something happened, and somebody's got to tell you about it. "'I'm most sure she won't, and nobody else knows set me. "'Last night, about dark, I went out to feed the chickens, "'and I see that Nimshi Harry Temple skulking round your house. "'It was all dark there, and he walked in the side gate "'and tried to peek in the windows. "'Only the shades was down, and he couldn't see a thing. "'I thought he was up to some mischief, "'so I followed him down the street a piece "'till he turned down the old corduroy road. "'It was dark by then, and I come home.' "'But I was on the watch-out this morning, "'and after Miss Bafford come down to the house, "'I heard a horse gallopin' by, "'and I looked out and saw a boy get off "'and take a letter to the door and ride away, "'and pretty soon, all in a hurry, "'your wife come out tying her bonnet "'and hurrying along, lookin' scared. "'I grabbed my sunbonnet and clipped after her, "'but she went so fast I didn't get up to her "'till she got on the old corduroy road. "'She was awful scared lookin', "'and she didn't want me much, I see.' but pretty soon she up and told me she had a note saying there was a messenger with news from you out to the old green tavern. He had an accident and couldn't come no further. He wanted her to come alone cause the business was private, so I stayed down by the turn of the road till she got in, and then I went cross lots and round to the kitchen and called on old Miss Green a spell. She was telling me about her boarders, and I told her I thought maybe one of them was a friend of Hannah Heat's, "'so she said I might peek through the keyhole of the cupboard and see. "'She was busy, so I went alone. "'Well, sir, I just wish you'd been there. "'That lion Nimshi was just going on the sweetest as respectful and nice a thanking your wife for coming and excusing himself for sending for her "'and sayin' he couldn't bear to tell her what he'd come for. "'And pretty soon, when she was scared to death, "'he up and told her a, a awful fib about you and a woman called Kate, whoever she is, and he just poured the words out fast so she couldn't speak and he said things about you he shouldn't of and you could see he was making it up as he went along and he said he had proof so he pointed at a pile of letters on the table and i eyed em good through the hole in the door pretty soon he ups and proposes that he carry her off in a carriage he has already and takes her to a friend of his so she won't be here when you come home cause you're so bad and she gets up looking like she wanted to scream, only she didn't dare, and she says he don't tell the truth, it wasn't so any of it, and if it was, it was all right anyway, that you had some reason, and she wouldn't go a step with him anywhere. And then he forgets all about the lame ankle he had kept covered up on a chair, pretendin' it was hurt fallin' off his horse, when the coach brought him all the way, for I asked Miss Green, and he catches her by the wrists, and he says she can't go without him, and she needn't be in such a hurry, for you wouldn't have no more to do with her anyway, after her being shut up there with him so long. And then she looked just like she was going to faint, and I bust out through the door and catched up the ink pot, it wa not heavy enough to kill him, and I slung it at him, and the ink went square in his eyes, and we slipped through the closet and got away quick, for anybody knew a thing. I brought all the letters along, so here they be. I haven't read a one, because I thought maybe you'd rather not. She ain't seen em neither. She don't know I've got him. I hid him in my dress. She's all wore out with cryin' and hurryin' and being scared, so she's upstairs now asleep, and she don't know I'm writing. I'm going to send this off for she knows, for I think she wouldn't tell you fear of worrying you. I'll look after her as well as I can till you get back, but I think that feller ought to be strung up. But you'll know what to do, so no more at present from your obedient servant, Miranda Griscom. Having at last succeeded in sealing her packet to her satisfaction and the diminishing of the stick of sealing wax she had found in the drawer, Miranda slid out the front door and by a detour went to David Spafford's office. "'Good afternoon, Mr. Clark,' she said to the clerk importantly. "'Grandma sends her respects and wants to know if you'd be so kind as to back this letter for her to Mr. David Spafford. is writing to him on business, and she don't rightly know his street and number in New York.' mr clark willingly wrote the address and miranda took it to the post office and sped back to marcia happy in the accomplishment of her purpose in the same mail-bag that brought miranda's package came a letter from aunt clarinda david's face lit up with a pleased smile her letters were so infrequent that they were a rare pleasure he put aside the thick package written in his clerk's hand it was doubtless some business papers and could wait aunt clarinda wrote in a fine old script that in spite of her eighty years was clear and legible she told about the beauty of the weather and how amelia and hortense were almost done with the house-cleaning and how marcia had been going to their house every day putting it in order then she added a paragraph which david knowing the old lady well understood to be the raison d'etre of the whole letter i think your wife misses you very much davy she looks sort of peaked and sad it is hard on her being separated from you so long this first year. Men don't think of those things, but it is lonely for a young thing like her here with three old women, and you know Hortense and Amelia never try to make it lively for anybody. I have been watching her, and I think if I were you, I would let the business finish itself up as soon as possible and hurry back to put a bit of cheer into that child. She's whiter than she ought to be. David read it over three times in astonishment, with growing, mingled feelings which he could not quite analyze. Poor Aunt Clorinda, of course she did not understand the situation, and equally, of course, she was mistaken. Marcia was not sighing for him, though it might be dull for her at the old house. He ought to have thought of that, and a great burden suddenly settled down upon him. He was not doing right by Marcia." It could not be himself, of course, that Marcia was missing, if indeed Aunt Clarenda was right, and she was worried about anything. Perhaps something had occurred to trouble her. Could that snake of a temple have turned up again? No, he felt reasonably sure he would have heard of that. Besides, he saw him not long ago on the street at a distance. Could it be some boy lover at home whose memory came to trouble her? Or had she discovered what a sacrifice she had made of her young life? Whatever it was, it was careless and cruel in him to have left her alone with his aunts all this time. He was a selfish man, he told himself, to have accepted her quiet little sacrifice of all for him. He read the letter over again, and suddenly there came to him a wish that Marcia was missing him. It seemed a pleasant thought to have her care. He had been trying to train himself to the fact that no one would ever care for him again, but now it seemed dear and desirable that his sweet young companion should like to have him back he had a vision of home as it had been so pleasant and restful always the food that he liked always the thought for his wishes and he felt condemned he had not noticed or cared had she thought him ungrateful he read the letter over again noting every mention of his wife in the account of the daily living at home he was searching for some clue that would give him more information about her and when he reached the last paragraph about missing him a little tingle of pleasure shot through him at the thought. He did not understand it. After all, she was his, and if it was possible, he must help to make up to her for what she had lost in giving herself to him. If the thought of doing so brought a sense of satisfaction to him that was unexpected, he was not to blame in any wise. Since his interview with Kate and the terrible night of agony through which he had passed, David had plunged into his business with all his might. Whenever a thought of Kate came, he banished it, if possible, and if it would not go, he got out his writing materials and went to work at an article, to absorb his mind. He had several times arisen in the night to write, because he could not sleep and must think. When he was obliged to be in New York, he had steadily kept away from the house where Kate lived, and never walked through the streets without occupying his mind as fully as possible, so that he should not chance to see her. In this way, his sorrow was growing old, without having been worn out, and he was really regaining a large amount of his former happiness and interest in life. Not so often now did the vision of Kate come to trouble him. He thought she was still his one ideal of womanly beauty and grace and perfection, of course, and always would be, but she was not for him to think upon any more. A strong, true man he was growing, out of his sorrow." And now when the thought of Marcia came to him with a certain sweetness, he could be glad that it was so, and not resent it. Of course, no one could ever take the place of Kate. That was impossible. So reflecting with a pleasant smile upon his face, he opened Miranda's epistle. Puzzled and surprised, he began to read the strange curiography, and as he read, his face darkened, and he drew his brows in a heavy frown. The scoundrel, he muttered as he turned the sheet. Then, as he went on, his look grew anxious. He scanned the page quickly, as if he would gather the meaning from the crooked, ill-spelled words, without taking them one by one. But he had to go slowly, for Miranda had not written with as much plainness as haste. He fairly held his breath when he thought of the gentle girl in the hands of the unscrupulous man of the world. A terrible fear gripped his heart. Marcia, Little Marcia, So sweet and pure and good!' A vision of her face as she lay asleep in the woods came between him and the paper. Why had he left her unprotected all these months? Fool that he was! She was worth more than all the railroads put together. As if his own life was in the balance, he read on, growing sick with horror. Poor child! What had she thought? And how had his own sin and weakness been found out? Or was it merely Harry Temple's wicked heart that had evolved these stories? The letter smote him with terrible accusation and all at once it was fearful to him to think that Marcia had heard such things about him. When he came to her trust in him, he groaned aloud and buried his face in the letter, and then raised it quickly to read to the end. When he had finished, he rose with sudden determination to pack his carpet-bag and go home at once. Marcia needed him, and he felt a strong desire to be near her, to see her, and know she was safe. It was overwhelming. He had not known he could ever feel strongly again, he must confess his own weakness, of course, and he would. She should know all and know that she might trust his after all. But the motion of rising had sent the other papers to the floor, and in falling the bundle of letters that Miranda had enclosed scattered about him. He stooped to pick them up and saw his own name written in Kate's handwriting. Old association held him, and wondering, fearful, not wholly glad to see it, he picked up the letter. It was an epistle of Kate's written in intimate style to harry temple and speaking of himself in terms of the utmost contempt she even stooped to detail to harry an account of her own triumph on that miserable morning when he had taken her in his arms and kissed her there were expressions in the letter that showed her own wicked heart as nothing else could ever have done to david as he read his soul growing sick within him read one letter after another and saw how she had plotted with this bad man to wreck the life of her young sister for her own triumph and revenge, the beautiful woman whom he had loved, and whom he had thought beautiful within as well as without, crumbled into dust before him. When he looked up at last with white face and firmly set lips, he found that his soul was free forever from the fetters that had bound him to her. He went to the fireplace and laid the pile of letters among the embers, blowing them into a blaze, and watched them until they were eaten up by the fire, and nothing remained but dead gray ashes. The thought came to him that that was like his old love. It was burnt out. There had not been the right kind of fuel to feed it. Kate was worthless, but his own self was alive, and please God he would yet see better days. He would go home at once to the child wife who needed him, and whom now he might love as she should be loved. The thought became wondrously sweet to him, as he rapidly threw the things into his traveling-bag and went about arrangements for his trip home. He determined that if he ever came to New York again, Marcia should come with him. End of chapter 24